Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence here today. God, I thank you that there is none more powerful than you. And that whatever we're dealing with, whatever we're battling, God, I thank you that we can hand it over to you. We can lay it at your feet, knowing that you will pick it up and take care of it. And we can walk away, Lord, never to pick it up. Lord, forgive us for carrying it, thinking that we are the ones that can somehow handle it, and we're the ones that somehow can work it out, that, Lord, at the end of the day, when everything's said and done, it is you and only you, Lord, that we worship. You are, we are, worship an audience of one, and we thank you, God, that you love us unconditionally, despite ourselves, despite our downfalls and our differences, Lord. And I thank you that one day you're coming back to take over, to overthrow the governments of this world, Lord, and to set up your kingdom and your reign, that, Lord, getting saved is not about going to heaven, but getting saved is about having your kingdom here on earth in the here and now, Lord, so that you can reclaim your property from the enemy and from those that have chosen to follow the enemy through their own way of thinking and refuting and rejecting you. Lord, in Jesus' name, everybody said amen. 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 You may be seated. And I am uh, so grateful that the sun is out today. Can you, thanks, man. Uh, and so we're going to continue uh, our series. And as we go through, we talk about spiritual warfare. Next week, we're going we're, next week, we're going to hit the brakes on, um, next week, we're going to hit the brakes on spiritual warfare. And we're, because what is next week, by the way? Just, yeah, okay, good job. All right, awesome. Everybody's aware of what next week is. So next week, we're going to hit the brakes on spiritual warfare and uh, battling the demonic, and we're going to talk about Easter when the demonic was completely overthrown, right? And hell was robbed. Amen? Amen. But today, we're going to continue. We're going to talk about the helmet of salvation. Last week, I know many of you may, may, or, may, may or may not have been here. We talked about the shield of faith, and we talked about how the Roman soldiers, right, uh, every week, or I'm sorry, every day, a Roman soldier would oil down their shield and cake it, in, cake it in oil. They have a little vial of oil given to them by the Roman government. It represented that we had to, what, every day, we had to oil down our faith with the Holy Spirit um, for it to work. We talked about the fiery darts of the enemy, right? The fiery darts are not arrows that are on fire. The Greek actually means, if you study the arrows of that day, they actually literally were arrows that were, it was chemical warfare, and fiery arrows were arrows that would hit. The shaft of the arrow had various chemicals in them, and so when they hit, they would explode. It was basically like Agent Orange, um, and it would spread. And so the idea is that you would look at an arrow coming and think it's an arrow, but when it hits, it's not. And so when you stop and think about fiery arrows, every time the enemy comes into our lives, we think, okay, this is what this is, and then what happens? It's not. And that's what Paul's referencing, referencing what that is. So today we're going to take up the helmet of salvation. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, Paul writes to the church at Ephesus and he says, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. You guys are going to get sick of hearing me say this. But the, but the word of God is not the Bible, right? It is the Greek word rhema, which means spoken word of God. If Paul meant the Bible... He should have used the Greek word logos, the written word of God. And so there's two different words of God. We've seen that. We've talked about that. And so after Easter, we will pick up and talk about this whole sword of the spirit as the spoken word of God, not the written 
word of God. And we'll talk about the differences and take that up. For today, the helmet of salvation. When you stop and you look at and you begin to study Roman soldier helmets and look at their helmets, it was one of the most adorned, beautiful pieces of armor that they had. And the helmet was specific to the person. It was specific to them. So Ben's helmet wouldn't look like Tim's helmet, which wouldn't look like my helmet, which wouldn't look like Lynn's helmet. They would design their helmets. And a lot of the Roman soldiers had scenes, farm scenes, agricultural scenes on the side of their helmet because the Romans knew that if they wanted to have a successful army, they didn't recruit the upper class. They recruited the blue-collar farmers, blacksmiths, they inscribed them into the military. It's written over and over in Roman antiquity and Roman documents. And so a lot of these soldiers had scenes of cows and, and fields and stuff on the sides of their helmet because these people were used to working. They were used to fighting. They were used to the grind. And so for them to march out, it was just part of what they did, right? This was this is what and who they were. And so it was, it's not uncommon. You can, you can research this, go to museums. I know that's exciting. Woo, hey, pastor said go to a museum. Um, but a lot of helmets had, uh, would have a horse face on them. They might have an elephant face. They were personal. It was personal to that soldier. Here's what we have to understand about salvation. Your salvation is the most beautiful thing you carry. Your salvation is the most beautiful thing you carry. And Jimmy's salvation story is going to be different than Aaron's salvation story. And Carly's salvation story is going to be different than Di's salvation story. And so when we talk about salvation, how you came to Christ, and the journey that you took to come to your knees and say, Jesus, forgive me because I am a sinner and I need your saving grace just to get through life. I need Jesus just to get through the checkout at Walmart. That was a joke. Maybe it's not a joke, right? Maybe that's not a joke. Sorry. But it's, it's true, right? It, we have to have Jesus or we become decrepit. We become something other than what we were designed to be. But everybody's story is unique. No person's salvation story is the same. And so when we talk about the helmet of salvation, if you were in the city of Ephesus and Paul wrote, pick up the helmet of salvation, the first thing that would have come to mind is, wait a minute, they're all different. They're all different. Now, some had the, the bright red plumes going across, right? And that might represent your rank uh, in the military or something. But for the most part, every helmet was different and was unique. And so when Paul writes this, this is what's going through their mind. Wait a minute. My salvation is unique. My salvation is different. Why do you think, what do you think one of the reasons we have eternity for? To go around and hear everybody's story. <gasps> it's unique. It's unique. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, Paul writes to the church at Corinth, and he says, in order that, he's, again, he's talking about our combat with Satan. He says, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. I'm going someplace with this. You're like, what, what does this have to do with the helmet? You're going to find out in a few minutes. What we have to understand, though, as we talked about a few weeks ago, is that Paul writes and he says, Satan has a method. The Greek word is methadon. It's where we actually get 
our English word method. And it means that when Satan wants to attack you, he has a method. He has a system, right? And we talked early on about, I think in the first or second week of this, we talked about familiar spirits, right? And the Bible talks about familiar spirits. And so when, when somebody says, well, we're having a seance and we're calling back somebody from the dead, no, you're not. You're calling back what the Bible calls a familiar spirit because demons are sent out to study every human on the planet and they can impersonate them. And so when you bust out the Ouija board and you begin to have these seances and you begin to, so-and-so came to me, no. To be absent from the body is either be present with the Lord or to be someplace else. Not on earth. You leave. You're gone. And so what happens, these familiar spirits begin to study us. And so what happens, and Paul says, listen, they understand how to get to you. Right? They understand how to get to each and every single one of us through our various temptations, our various methods, the road that they travel. Right? It might be alcohol. It might be money. It might be pride. It might be, it, it could be anything. I could sit up here all day and list methods in which the enemy gets to us. And so Paul says, don't be ignorant of this. Don't be ignorant. We are not ignorant of the mind games the devil tries to play on us. You have to know how the enemy gets to you. You have to understand this. You have to know your weaknesses. You have to know what they are. And then you've got to take that phone off the hook, for those of you that are old enough to understand that reference. You've got to take the phone off the hook. right? You've got to say, no, this, you're not doing this anymore. You're not coming to me this way. Find another way. In 2 Corinthians 11.13, it won't be on the screen, but Paul uses a word, a Greek word in that verse. If you're taking notes, in 2 Corinthians 11.13, Paul uses a Greek word, dolios, D-O-L-I-O-S, dolios. And dolios means to bait someone or to groom them. It means to groom somebody slowly without their knowing, without them understanding what's going on. You just slowly groom them for a particular lifestyle, for a particular ideology, for a particular whatever. You slowly put people in their lives to convince them this is the way it should be. And the Greek word dolios in that verse, in the English it says deceive. In the Greek it literally means to slowly groom somebody, to deceive them so they can't see any other way. And what happens then, as we talked about a few times in the series, the enemy then places in our minds what's called strongholds. And a stronghold is not built overnight. It's built upon brick, upon brick, upon brick, 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 until you are trapped in your own mind. And you're trapped in your way of thinking. You can't think any differently. You can't see the world any differently. You have now become trapped. And that stronghold then becomes a way in which the enemy gets into your thought life and then he can manipulate your feelings and your emotions and out of that then he can tackle and cause you to act out in different ways. This is why we have a helmet of salvation to protect the way we think. Because we're all unique. Well, I don't need to get up and go to church this morning. I can watch online. Right? And I said last week, I'm like, no, you don't really see yourself as the church. You don't see yourself as being the church. Because when you are the church and you know that I am the church, then I need to act out and do church. That doing comes from being. 
and I can show you millions of people that think churches is something you check off and do. Why? Because we as pastors have failed you in really helping you dig your roots into your spirituality. Because why? Because we want to do fun series to attract people more than we want you to get your roots deep. That's the bottom line. We want numbers in the door. And I can tell you I have sat in meetings with mega church pastors and with small town pastors. And they all like, well, we're going to get people in the door. We're going to get people in the door. Rather than just growing them deep, we want people to come and feel good. Jesus said, pick up your cross and follow. I don't know about you, but there's no part of picking up my cross that sounds fun. Yeah. Right? Come and follow. What do you tell the one guy? The one guy says, hey, I'm going to follow, but let me, go, let me go bury my father. Now, actually what that really implies, the tense in the Greek says, my father's not quite dead yet. He's on his deathbed. Let me go sit with my father until he dies, and then I'll come follow. And Jesus knew that if he went and sat with his father, he would never come follow. So Jesus says, you let the dead bury their dead. If you're following me, you're following me. That doesn't fly in our society, does it? It doesn't work in our society to go, look, if you're doing this, do it. Leave your dad and I see you and you come follow me. We would be like, what in the world? But that's Jesus. Because he knows what's at stake. He came from the other side of the coin, came into our side of the coin and said, guys, this stuff that you're, these 80 years that you've got, it's a dream. This is the dream. That's reality. And one day your alarm clock's going to go off and you're going to wake up into reality. You better get with it. So you let the dead bury the dead. You follow me. Pick up your cross. Let's go. <laughs> now how many of us are going, yes, me? <laughs> you all are laughing because you know. Okay. So what happens is the enemy builds this stronghold in your mind, and then it becomes oppressive. He now has a talent in your mind to begin to control your thought life and your emotions. Here's what, we, here's what happens to us psychologically. Our beliefs create our thoughts. Our thoughts create our emotions, and our emotions create our actions, and your actions then define the course of your life. And what you believe impacts the way you think. Cognitive psychology will never go beyond thought. They say you are thought. But the Bible says, no, you are what you believe. And because you believe this, you think this way, and then you feel emotional about it, so you act on it. And the devil knows that if he can get you to believe something over here, he can now control your thoughts, control your emotions, and control your actions. And you won't even know because you think it's you. You think it's you thinking that. It's not. It's not. Acts chapter 10, verse 38 says this. Let's talk about oppression for a minute in the mind. Acts 10, 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. This word under... In the NIV, in the King James, it's oppressed. Those who were oppressed, okay? The word oppressed in the Greek means, means a force that is over something and it's putting pressure down on, right? Let me, let, me give you a, let me give you an example. The tires in your car are putting force down on the road, right? And that force pushing down propels you forward. This is oppressed. Your tires are, are oppressing the concrete. Right? This putting pressure down and then pushing forward. This is, this is the word under. They were under the power. You notice what it doesn't say? It doesn't say they were possessed. 
This is not possession. This is oppression. They're two different things. When I'm oppressed, I'm pushed and then I'm moved. I'm pushed down and then I'm controlled and manipulated. This is, and Jesus says, yeah, you, you need to be delivered. See, we often, we often get the, the, this mindset of, oil. Well, you know, it's, it, it's, it's demonic and it's uh, possession, right? And we're possessed. And in our minds go to all this movie stuff. Listen, if your, Holly, if your Hollywood movies are basis for your theology, you're way out in left field. <laughs> I don't even know that you're in the ballpark, honestly. So this is what this verse means. It literally means that the enemy had created strongholds and oppression in people's thought lives, and then he could control and manipulate their emotions and their feelings and their attractions. And he can manipulate them. And he can, call, he can oppress them. Listen, when someone is oppressed in their mind, they are dominated in their mind and emotions by an outside force. Here's what we also know about the demonic and about Satan. They're not all powerful. They're not all knowing. There's only one being that is that. So here, here's what happens. Sometimes he comes in at the right moment and he'll manipulate and oppress your thinking and then move you. If you allow it. And then he'll back off. And you won't feel that way anymore. And then sometimes he'll step in and suddenly you start feeling that way again. And so he manipulates and controls and pushes. And he'll back off because he can't keep up the pressure. Right? He can't keep up the pressure. He's an eternal being, but he's not all-powerful, all-knowing. So he can't keep it up all the time. And if it's not dealt, if this is not dealt with in the mind, then eventually what happens is hopelessness, abandonment, to that feeling or to that way of thinking or to that way of life. I can't fix it. I can't solve it. This is just it. This is, this is it. This is how it is. I can't resolve it. And so I'm just here and I'm just stuck. This is who I am. So you abandon yourself to that stronghold in the mind, whatever it might be. This is why the helmet of salvation is so important to come to God and say, God, I have some stinking thinking and it needs saved. I need saved in my belief system, which produces my thoughts and my emotions and my actions. I need to believe. Help me believe the way that I should be believing. 1 Peter 1.13, just write it down. It's not going to be on the screen. 1 Peter 1.13 says, it tells us, 1 Peter, when he writes this, he says, you need to gather up the loose ends of your mind and tuck them in. He pictures it like, you know, back in those days, they'd wear long, you know, long, I don't forget what it's called. Escapes me. But when they needed to run, they would pull it up and tuck it into their belt so their legs were exposed like shorty shorts. So for those of you who remember, like Larry Bird, John Stockton, shorty shorts. And they would pull it up and then tuck it in and it would stop right about here and then they were free to run. And they could run. And they would take off running. And so Peter says, listen, some of you in your mind, you need to grab your thoughts and you need to tuck that stuff in and quit thinking that way. And you need to run towards Jesus. You need to run towards a one that's going to reduce and break the strongholds in the way you think, in the way you feel, and your emotions. Romans chapter 8, verse 6. Romans 8, 6 says, The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. Governed, right? To rule over. When you allow your mind to be governed by your feelings and your emotions then you're going to be all over the board, and you're not going to know. You're going to be confused. The Bible also tells us that Satan is the author of confusion. If you're confused about something, it's not God. 
If you're confused about something, if you're confused about your identity, if you're confused about which job, if you're confused about how to handle your money, it's not God. And it's not you. It is Satan throwing you into confusion about your gender. It's Satan throwing you into confusion about who you should love. It's Satan throwing you into confusion about the way you think. It's conf- Satan is the author of confusion. And if you don't think Satan's trying to get a hold on society, turn on the news. Mass chaos and confusion everywhere tells me that Satan is trying to get control. Because God, there is no, there's no confusion in God. He is decisive. He knows what he created. He knows how it's supposed to operate. And so when we don't operate the way it was designed, the problem isn't God. The problem is me. Because why? Because Paul writes to the church in Rome and he says, guys, the mind governed by the flesh, doing what I want, how I want, when I feel like I want, my mind, he says, it's death. It brings death. And if you don't believe me, look at the world. Right? It's a result of death. It's a result of death. But the mind governed by what? Is that capital S or little s? Capital S. Anytime you're reading your Bible and it's capital S, it's Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. Not your spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. The mind governed by the Holy Spirit is life and peace. This is why you can go through absolute hell and still be at peace. You can feel like everything has gone wrong and everything has exploded and my kids hate me and my mom and dad don't want me and my job stinks, but I have peace. Why? My mind's going to be able to handle my anxiety and I wouldn't be able to handle all of the stuff being thrown at me. But I know that beyond a shadow of a doubt because the Holy Spirit lives in me and greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world, I can handle anything thrown at me. Why? Because the thing inside of me defeated death. The thing inside of me was tempted by Satan in the wilderness and took Satan head on. So whatever it is and whatever I'm facing is greater than what, whatever I'm facing is not greater than what's inside of me. But we tend to forget that, right? We tend to forget that. So I just want to remind you of that. <laughs> All right, that was Romans 8, 6. Titus 1, 15. Titus writes... To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and their consciences are corrupt. Their mind. I want to break down. The word mind means your capacity and your ability to reason. What happens? If I'm being led by emotions and feelings all the time, right, my capacity to reason and think logically starts to get cut down. It starts to kind of just starts to fall apart over time. Then he says, this word conscience means a sense of morality. He says, so your thinking starts to fall apart, and as your thinking starts to fall apart, your sense of morality of right and wrong begin to fall to the wayside as well. And until you don't know what end is up, and then guess what? Confusion sets in. Who am I? Where am I going? What's going on? I don't understand what's happening. This is all the work of the enemy to destroy you. Why does he want to destroy you and everything that you're trying to work for? Because you are made in the image of God. And every time he sees a human, he sees God who kicked him out of heaven. Right? When Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. Boom. Kapow. And every time he sees a human, 
whether that human is an atheist, agnostic, Christian, Islam, Judaism, doesn't matter. He sees the image of God, and he wants to destroy it any way he can, whether that's blatantly or subversive over time. He has to destroy it. So when someone says, I'm saved, and this idea, Paul says, take on the helmet of salvation, it means to save or deliver from danger and being dysfunctional in your thinking and in your conscience, in the way you reason and your sense of morality, you need saved. We all need saved. Trust me, I know what I was like before I was saved. I know what I was like when I was an agnostic at Ball State, right? I, I know what I was like. Everybody's like, oh, Tyson, you're just this preacher guy. No. <laughs> no, 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 right? We don't need to get into it, but I can tell you, like, I know what I was, and each of us know. This is part of our story of salvation. Each of us know what we're capable of. And how many, we, I just had this conversation last night at dinner with some people. How many of us, when you think about, when you think about the Russian gulags in Siberia under Stalin, when you think about the concentration camps under Hitler, and you begin to look at what they did to humans, when you, when you hear the stories coming out of Afghanistan and Iraq that our military people are, are telling us that they could walk by the house and tell which, just from the smell out on the street, which house was the death house. And you think, well, I would never do those things to people. Really? You really think you wouldn't? Because I bet you those people, as kids, never thought that they would be doing that and torturing people and doing what they did to toddlers that I won't get into. It's not fit for Sunday morning. If you want to know, hit me up after service, and then I'll hand you a trash can for you to vomit. I would never do I couldn't do that. Wrong. We are, we are corrupt beyond measure without Christ. And given the right ideology and the right brainwashing, it could be any of us in this room. And, Paul, and Jesus says, listen, guys, you've got to change the way you think. This is why the Bible says that human thinking runs contrary to the way God thinks. God thinks completely different than humanity. And unless we say, God, save my mind and save my moral, sense of morality and save the way I think, we are doomed. Inevitably doomed. And so the helmet of salvation, as we get towards the end of this and start bringing this plane in for a landing, the helmet of salvation allows us and allows for the mind to be protected, to protect our thoughts and our emotions. Because when I start to feel an emotion, I take it to the Bible and say, okay, time out. What does the Bible say about this emotion? Time out. What does the Bible say about this particular thought that I'm having? Time out. What's the Bible have to say about this? Because if I'm disjointed and disconnected with what God says, then I know that it's me, and I know that inherently there's a problem there. And so I have to take everything that I'm thinking and everything that I'm feeling, the anxiety, the worry, even the joy and happiness, I take it, why do I feel happy right now? It's because of, oh, I feel happy because the guy who cursed me out the other day got in a wreck. Ha, 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 ha. Okay, you might feel happy, but that's not a biblical reason to feel happy. That's you wanting revenge, right? So you have to take all, even the happiness and the joy and take it and line it up to Scripture. What does God's Word say? In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Paul writes 
just prior to the verses that we're looking at in Ephesians. He says, guys, listen, prior to your salvation, we were all deserving of God's wrath because he showed us how to do it. He showed us the direction to go. He showed us the direction to go, and we chose, eh, I can do it myself. I'll do it my way, right? So if you're a parent and you have kids, you know full well what this is like, right? Hey, do this. No, I'm going to do it my way. Let me share a story with you. So two, last year, last year we went to the Black Hills, staying in a cabin, and the couple who owned the cabin in the Black Hills said, hey, you know, the hill just behind your cabin, there's a mountain lion that's been living up there. Um, if you do take the trail up to the top of the hill, make sure you're at least in pairs. At least there's two of you because a mountain lion's not going to attack two, right? Most, I mean, like 90% of the time. And he, so the 10%, you're on your own. But, and, and so... We, the cabin had no internet, it had no phone, no TV, no nothing. It was wonderful for some of us. Teenagers so much, eh. some of you right now are just having a panic attack thinking you won't even have any cell service. I sensed it, right? So my, Isaiah at the time had a girlfriend, and the people that owned the cabin said the only, the only cell service is on top of that hill. So we're, we're in the cabin, we're unloading the van after the conversation, and we're looking around, and Lynn says, have you seen Isaiah? I'm like, no, hold on, I'll go outside. So I went outside, I yelled, Isaiah, Isaiah, nothing, nothing. Having been a teenage boy with girlfriends, sorry, honey, I had girlfriends before we got married, and <laughs> I knew immediately what was going on. I looked at her and I said, he went to the top of that hill to text his girl. And she's like, mm. and you could like, dad, you know the look mom gets. And you're just, you just kind of step, and you just kind of step back. I said, I'll be right back. So I went outside to the back of the cabin. <laughs> I got out of the cabin because guess what? If she blows, I cannot call for help. It's just me and the people down, way down there that own the cabin. And so I get out back and I yell to the top of the hill, Isaiah! Nothing. I'm like, oh, no. So I, Isaiah! After about the third Isaiah, what? <laughs> Are you on that hill? Yeah. I'm like, duh, Dad. Where else would I go, Dad? And... Like, Jesus stayed with me, so I'm grateful for that. Because I said, get your butt. I, did, I said, but. I didn't say anything else. I said, get your butt down here now. And what? I said, you, and I, <laughs> like, it was just that. It was like, ugh. And I'm like, what is he doing up there? And so I yelled back up, you heard what they said? Okay. Rather than taking the trail, which goes around the very large hill this way, right, and winding around, he decides to come straight down through the tall grass that's like almost waist high. The brush, there's like a 10-foot rock cliff he has to shimmy down. He's like coming straight down this thing. I was like, this is not my kid. 
this is not. This is clearly the mailman. Where did he come from? Did the police not have room at the juvenile and they dropped him off one night? I, where did he come from? And he, he, go, he gets to the cabin. He's like, what? I say, you heard what Rodney and Deb said. There's a mountain lion that lives up there, and you went by yourself. For, for, was he 14 or 13? I think he was uh, he was 13 or 14. Kid going up there. And, you know, mountain lions will stalk their prey for a mile. Like, you'll never know they're there. And I'm like, what? And then I said, get in the cabin. Well, mom was still in the cabin. <laughs> and mom, like the pressure was building. And I start to walk in the cabin, and I hear, what did you think? I shut the door, walk back out. <laughs> you know what? Mom's got you. I don't need to do anything else. I'm not going to intervene. I know where the hospital is here. I'll get you there if you make it. You probably should have just faced the mountain lion and been okay. Here's my point. When Paul writes wrath and he says, God is storing up the wrath for humanity doing their own thing and disregarding his word, it's like mom I'm building this up because I don't want to put you in the ground right now. I'm giving you a chance to say you're sorry. I'm giving you a chance to come follow. But if you don't come follow, at some point, I'm bringing the hammer. That's what wrath means. Wrath simply means, I'm, in my grace, I'm giving you a chance to repent and let you live. In my grace, I'm giving you an opportunity to turn around. In my grace, I'm giving you a chance. But there's coming a point that if you don't take it, you have condemned yourself. End of story. Right? That's what wrath is. As Paul says, God is storing up the wrath because he doesn't want anybody to perish. He doesn't want that to happen. So you say, well, what do I do? The first thing you have to do is you have to connect to God and the power of God. You have to go to God and say, God, I am sorry. Forgive me for thinking my way, for thinking the way that I think and the way that I want to think. You have to take Ephesians 6, 17, right? We just read it. Take the helmet of salvation. In order to take something, you have to be willing to receive it. You have to be willing to receive salvation and say, God, I am sorry. I am not right. I am wrong. Here's, here's what we have to understand. God will, you can say, God, save me and save me from my way of thinking. And God isn't going to suddenly flip a switch and change the way you think. He might, but odds are he's not. God's not going to force a renewed mind on you. You have to choose to renew your mind in what you believe, right? So how do you do that? One, like I said, you receive the helmet of salvation. Two, you begin to memorize scripture. You begin to line every feeling and every thought up to scripture. Three, you pray. And when I say pray, I don't mean pray for somebody's friend who had an accident. I mean, pray, God, change the, help me change the way I think. Help me understand how you think. I need to think in line with my creator, not the fallen world, right? Talk with God. Have a conversation with God, a two-way conversation. Number four, surround yourself with people who think the way God thinks. Surround yourself. Yes, that means you're going to have to tell some friends and some people, bye. I'm not talking to you anymore. Why? I'm changing my life. Right? I'm changing my life. I have to be around people that think the way God thinks. 
listen, the, the areas and the ways in which the devil attacks mentally and emotionally, he will no longer be able to attack when you begin to carry out salvation. When you put that on, you begin to tell your story. You begin to live out your unique salvation story that's unique to you, right? That's what you're supposed to do. That's how you do it. You begin to change the way you think. That's salvation, a new sense of morality, a new belief system, which then affects your thoughts, which affects your emotions, which affects your actions, which eventually will change your entire life. Christianity is designed to change us from the inside out, not from the outside in. But everything in this world says, well, if you do this and you begin to change your thought life, you do this and you begin to change. No, I'm saying begin to follow Jesus and watch your thought life just suddenly begin to change. Your emotions change, your desires change, what you're attracted to changes. It all begins to change. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's the helmet of salvation. Let's stand up. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your presence here today. God, I thank you that, that your love, that your mercy, and that your grace is withholding what we, what we do deserve. And your love is compelling us to come. And to line our thoughts up with heaven. Line our thoughts up with you. That, Lord, anything is possible in you. That all hope exists in you. That all faith and all love exists in and through you. For you, God, are love. And as a result, you define it. And so, Lord, we thank you for being clear and not allowing confusion to enter our minds. Confusion to enter our feelings and our emotions to not be confused. Lord, I praise you and I thank you for that. I thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit to see miracles working in people's lives all around us. In Jesus' name, amen.